It's December 19th, 2022. This is Rook. Well, hi there. Welcome to episode 224 of Rook. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Don't lose faith in this revolution. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Salam, Dustanazis. Durud Bashama. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Don't lose faith in this revolution. With the ongoing horrific news coming out of Iran and every sad revelation, you may have noticed a creeping concern in some corners about the possibilities of change, a sense of deflation. This is actually not a surprise. A desperate desire for stability, for a fast resolution to an upheaval is a characteristic of any revolutionary era. And for those of us in the Iranian diaspora, exhaustion can team up with guilt and fear that the end is nowhere near. Maybe you know someone like the man I was speaking to this weekend, someone who's been very active in social media himself, who lamented that there still aren't millions of people in the Iranian streets. Maybe this just isn't happening, he said. Maybe we've been wrong. Well, with all due respect, the last thing we should be doing is complaining this revolution is taking too long. Here's a better idea. Try to look at this with a little less emotion and impatience when you think of the outcome we need. And remember that anything worthwhile isn't built on speed. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Don't lose faith. I'm not always convinced being a history and poli-sci grad got me much, but it can come in handy in moments like this to give some context. The truth is, if you don't tend to treat this like a revolutionary race, you can objectively come to realize that all the correct ingredients are currently in place. Long-term causes and the popularity of a socio-political goal at odds with the regime in power, short-term triggers of widespread protests, moments of violent confrontation, national strikes and economic turmoil, growing defections and the consolidation of a broad alliance against the existing regime. Much of this is happening, and more in the current Iranian context. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Don't lose faith in this revolution. What we can learn from the past is that revolutions may look like a single event, but they're not experienced that way. Rather, they occur as extended periods in which the routines of normal life are dislocated and existing rituals lose their meaning. Depending on who you ask, the Russian Revolution lasted anywhere from 6 to 20 years before it took place overnight. The 1979 Iranian revolution that led to the consolidation of power by these same murderous mullahs was widely considered lightning fast, but it actually occurred over the course of a year from the first major protests in early 1978 to the arrival of Khomeini 12 months later. Today we're only 12 weeks removed from the killing of Mahsa Amini. In the social media age, there's a tendency to want to get the buzz of immediate news being fed from our tiny screens into our bloodstreams. If we wake up and don't see major stories and significant advance, we wonder if we should keep giving this revolution a chance. Where's the united leadership? Who's calling the shots? Why isn't there more action? Isn't it clear there isn't enough traction? Well, history actually teaches us that while people sometimes imagine yesterday's revolutions as planned and carried out by self-conscious insurrectionaries, this has rarely, if ever, been the case. Instead, revolutions are periods in which social actors with different agendas become fused into a more or less uniform movement. The French Revolution was seismic in fundamentally replacing autocracy, but the men and women who made the French Revolution happen had no model to follow, no plans, no platform agreed upon in advance. They persisted for years and were victorious in creating a new circumstance. 
It's a marathon, not a sprint. Don't lose faith in this revolution. More important, there is no way back at this point in the process for major change in Iran. Stepping away from supporting this revolution with everything we can right now at this moment means abandoning those 20,000 Iranians who've been jailed for this cause. It means abandoning those on death row awaiting public executions. It means abandoning the legacy of all of those dear souls and children we've already lost. The truth is we have no choice. There is no turning back. There's only continuing our collective voice. Convincing yourself the revolution is not happening is not just anti-historical and counterfactual. It's a recipe for quiescence and letting this regime off the hook. And honestly, it may start to become an excuse for you to feel better about closing the book. So maybe shake it off, pace yourself, keep healthy, and find what you need to cope. It's a marathon, not a sprint. The revolution is afoot. Don't ever lose hope. Coming up on this edition of Rook, legal expert Avin Tavakoli in Zurich, social media activist Mahsa Townsend in California, and psychologist Sara Rahimi here with us in the Rook Roundtable. This is Rook, episode 224, The Uprising. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Don't lose faith in this revolution. Here we are back live in the Rook studio for the uh, this episode 224. You know, um, last week we put out our new documentary, The Revolution from the Backyard. So we had taken a, a short hiatus from the regular Rook programming. We're back to it now, which doesn't mean you can't see the documentary. Mm-hmm, it's exactly. uh, sitting there on our YouTube channel, and we invite you to take a look at it, YouTube uh, dot com slash Rook Media. In the meantime, uh, quite an episode we've got for you. You might have heard a whole bunch of talk about political guardianships, also called political sponsorships or patronage. This is the idea of um, major political players like MPs or members of parliament or uh, the like sponsoring or being the guardians of those who have been put on death row inside Iran, these people outside of Iran. Well, we've got somebody who can speak to that, uh, our friend, uh, the lawyer and um, outspoken person in Zurich, Avin Tavakoli coming up to join us to talk about, uh, I mean, she's been outspoken on all kinds of levels, but she's particularly been dealing with this uh, issue of political guardianships. And I will speak to Avin about that. Plus, Massa Townsend, Massa in Orange County, California, coming up uh, before the show is done. Uh, happy to have her coming on the show. She spoke at the big rally they had in Los Angeles this weekend. Uh, she's been very outspoken in the last few months, um, which is relatively new to her to be this level of an activist. Uh, she embraces the term overnight activist. Somebody was trying to attack her by calling her that, and she now has owned that. Uh, but she's been um, doing some great work in terms of her um messaging on social media and uh um, she comes from a particular perspective which is very anti-jcpoa any nuclear deal anything like that she's been pretty consistent about that for a long time so we'll get her opinion and her perspective on what's happening these days and ask her what it was like in la 
in uh, on the weekend at that rally. In the meantime, uh, let's have a Rook roundtable here. We've got our trusted and brilliant regulars, Smart Pega. Hello, Pega. Hello. Groovy Shia. Hello, sir. Hi, Azizam. Hi, Azizam. And joining us in the Rook uh, studio for our Rook roundtable, Sara Rahimi. Sara is a qualifying registered psychotherapist, a member of the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association, a professional public speaker, a certified life coach, and a grief recovery specialist. She is a member of our Rook roundtable today, and she is here in the Rook studio. Say hello to Sara Rahimi. Hello. Hey, Gian. Very Great nice to, to have here. you here. Thank you. Thank Long you time for coming. Me. We've wanted we we've wanted you here, but you have too many. You have too much work to do with all your clients right now. Yes, yes. And I I guess it's not a bad segue to something I was thinking about talking about anyway. And then when we realized that we've got you coming into the studio, it's a it's kind of kismet. It's a perfect opportunity to talk about this because it is up your alley in terms of what you do professionally. Uh, it occurs to me that there are a lot of people having a hard time right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I wouldn't disclude myself from this, you know, the, and this is something I, I know from years of uh, doing broadcasting and from years of, of therapy that uh, that Christmas time, holidays tend to be a difficult time anyway for people uh, when it comes to anxiety and depression and issues when the family gets together and, and taking a break and taking perspective can sometimes be a difficult thing. And the Christmas rush and all the, the holidays that we experience in the West. Um, but for the Iranian community and the Iranian diaspora, this is, of course, an amplified time of difficulty. And it's kind of like, I mean, we've been through this now for over three months. And I remember, Pega, you, it was a couple of months ago, you said, listen, I need a few days. Yeah. Just I have to turn, turn off my phone for a few days. And um, and and we've we've had a few people on the show. Sorry, you might know this. Some psychologists, a therapist, where I talk about, hey, how do we navigate this? Obviously, there's people on the front lines in Iran who are dealing with a lot more than we are. You know, just looking at it in social media and doing rallies and demonstrations in the diaspora. But um, this is having a significant effect in underscoring the trauma that. Uh, most of us already have as Iranians having been exiled from the country, etc. So to, to kick things off with you today, tell me what you've been witnessing in terms of people having a tough time, and then we'll get to prescriptions of how you counsel people through this. Sure, Jan. Um, yes, people are having, basically they're experiencing a lot of different emotions um, from uh, anger, to sadness, to frustration, to shame and guilt, um, to extreme um, grief and sadness and disappointment, um, and also hope. So they're experiencing all these range of different um, emotions. Um, and also, as you mentioned, um, I have so many clients coming to me, uh, basically wanting to work on some of their um, past traumas that they had never ever touched them um, and they're just realizing that how much these um, like the movement and the basically the revolution um, is triggering those traumas and they never thought about that right. um, yeah so um, yeah it's it's been a lot of emotions um, and it's um, funny to to see that a lot of them are coming basically as um, anger Mm -hmm. and aggressiveness and as you can see on 
um, social media, people attack mm-hmm. each other all the time. Yeah. Um, let's, get, let's get to that, but let me just, because sure. I'm going to ask you specifically about anger. Mm-hmm. I know it's something you've talked about, but just on the point about the trauma, mm-hmm. it's interesting when we did this um, documentary in, in Istanbul, mm-hmm. and I think you've seen it, yeah, you, you were yeah, uh, at the screening we had, uh, one of the screenings we had. Um, one of the, the guests that we had in, in Istanbul, uh, somebody who actually she's a business person, but she does yoga instruction, etc. She talked about this revolution as a healer, like a mm-hmm. it's a collective healing that we're going through, and of course that's a double-sided coin because healing involves walking through a fire itself in terms of feeling that trauma. So, so the the triggering the trauma is not all bad in the sense that it's bringing things to the fore, right? That we have to deal with at some point in right. our lives about being Iranian, about the revolution, the other revolution, about the war, about um, um, living under these conditions where we couldn't return to our homeland, all of those things. But the healing uh, is good and bad at the same time? Exactly, exactly. Um, I'm glad that you actually mentioned that. Um, yes, part of the healing work Um, or the recovery that we do is um, when we go back and revisit the story, the story of the trauma, and we try to um, see through the lens of, um, you know, somebody who's a wise adult and not basically the wounded child or the wounded person. Um, So basically we change the narrative and I think what we are seeing these days is exactly the same thing. A lot of emotions that have been um, uh, suppressed are coming up um, and going back by visiting all the, the, the past traumas and then um, processing them. And then at the same time, um, facing what we had to face before, facing it now, um, it, is, it, is a, it is very, very, um, it's healing. Someone like my mother, my dear, beautiful, um, wonderful mother, you know, she has said, you know, we grew up in the West, so we always had Christmas. We went through the rituals, mm-hmm. maybe not on a religious basis, but gave each other presents, had a Christmas yeah. tree, et cetera. She said, again, I'm not in, you know, I'm not really up for Christmas this year. Yeah. I mean, this is somebody who's been outside of Iran for decades. You know, mm-hmm. obviously all of our family is still there, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But but on the face of it, you would say, okay, well, there's these things happening in Iran, but really what does it have to do with somebody who's been removed from that for most of her life, you know? Mm-hmm. But she is so upset and so involved in seeing what's going on in Iran, same as all of us, scrolling through, you know, looking at the hor- horrible yeah. images, hoping for positivity, hoping for change, et cetera, that she doesn't, she can't even bring herself to want to, you know, have a Christmas dinner. She said, there's no, we're not, let's not do that this year. Let's do something different. And um, that kind of trauma doesn't have a best before date on it, does it? It doesn't, it doesn't, you don't have to have just come from Iran to to be feeling that. No, no, Um, no, actually. It's uh, like everybody goes through uh, trauma, everybody, even, even people who don't live in Iran, even Canadians, right? but we don't really know how much trauma we have experienced. Trauma in. exists for non-Iranians? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is a revelation. Right. Yeah. It yeah. is actually, you know what, it's funny, but it's, it's different, it's mm. very different. Like um, what, what I see at work um, with Iranians, I see a lot of um, childhood trauma mm-hmm. um, or the war trauma or the trauma based on, you know, um, 
the society or the culture or mm. the displacement. You know, the, mm. Exactly. Um, whereas I see a lot of trauma for non-Iranians um, with a lot of childhood sexual abuse. Mm. Um, I mean, um, in relation to their family members even. So it's very different, but everybody, like everybody, um, has definitely gone through uh, trauma, so mm. some sort of trauma. I mean, I've got to think part of it as well is that we're, if you're engaged with the images and engaged with the storyline of what's happening in Iran, mm -hmm. Uh, and for many, 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 many Iranians around the world, that's that's become our 24-7 ritual. Uh, it's hard not to feel affected by that, right? You don't have yep. to be Iranian to be looking at that and be affected by it. And and it's it's something that these are decisions we make throughout our life where we sort of go, oh, I know there's you know horrible things happening in this part of the world i i choose to not look at it constantly because i get too upset you know those people who say mm -hmm. i never watch the news mm -hmm. you never watch the news yeah. no it's too upsetting for me and you kind of think well i applaud your ability to to, that, to, yeah. to you know live in that way but how is that possible you know yeah. to sort of deny reality mm -hmm. uh, but in this case it's hard for iranians many of us to to look away um, I mean, we're doing a show here, so you could say, well, this is, we feel some kind of responsibility. But my mom, you know, she just can't, she just cares too much. Mm -hmm. This is the place where she grew up. This is the place where our family is. This is the place where she had fond memories pre-revolution, uh, pre-79 revolution, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it is actually, um, I, I came here when I was, I came here when I was 35. So what whatever I see that is happening in Iran is extremely impacting me um, and it's funny um, sometimes my uh, fiance Matthew um, he looks at me and how he can see how everything is impacting me emotionally and he can see other friends and he questioned the other day he was asking me he said so Sarah how come you get so emotionally impacted um, by all these events and the revolution and the movement but let's say so and so um, it doesn't seem that they're so you know bothered by that and I'm like that's a very good question mm. you know so um, yeah I don't know I, I grew up there I'm um, especially as somebody uh, what you mentioned about your mom I think when we see um, Iranians going through a lot of hardship and we feel the pain mm. um, we empathize with them and we know their pain um, we become i would say after a while we become so uh, exhausted mm. emotionally exhausted and drained and there's mm -hmm. actually in in psychology there's a term called uh, compassion fatigue um, I don't know if you've heard of that or not, but it's when you actually constantly take care of someone else's, um, either emotionally right. or physically, and you show lots of empathy, and it happens. You're drained. Exactly, yeah. you, you get drained, and then after a while, you just think that, you know what, I can't do this anymore. There's, in that list of that confluence of emotions that we're feeling, mm -hmm. that you listed in the you know anger, sadness, mm -hmm. and also some hope, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, one thing you said there was guilt. And mm -hmm. I find that to be a very interesting one. Mm -hmm. uh, people have been talking about uh, uh, guilt, and and I, I guess this is associated with the idea that there is something happening 
that we profoundly care about, that we want to support, that we want to be part of, that we want to help, and yet ultimately we are removed, mm-hmm. physically removed from this mm-hmm. the center of the action and we feel guilty about that? Is that the idea? Exactly, exactly. So it is, um, it's interesting. Um, probably you've heard of com- um, um, survivor's guilt, yes. right? So w- something that is happening among a lot of people is that we are trying to help. We are doing whatever we can. We protest. We, um, we, we, we do all these hashtags. We sign petitions. We, um, we go and see, um, let's say, um, uh, the um, uh, members of parliaments, right? Um, but because we are not there on the streets, you know, with, with the people who are being killed, um, we feel very guilty that we cannot do enough for mm. them. Or if anything happens to our children, and then we think that, why didn't happen to me? Mm-hmm. Or why am I even here? And my people should suffer so much, you know? So it is the survivor's guilt, basically. Uh, and also, um, we feel that guilt and we feel um, ultimately the shame. And What's the shame that we feel? So basically, the shame of, again, not being able to help not being able to um, do enough for them, not being able to get them out of the prison, for yeah. example, yeah. right? Or, um, uh, or, or take away their pain, all those mothers and families that have lost their kids, yeah. right? So we cannot take away uh, their pain. Even me as a therapist, sometimes um, I look at my, my client sitting in front of me and I cannot take away that pain. So um, it is the shame um, and it's funny, um, I, I like this, uh, that Brenna Brown says, um, shame is the response to helplessness. Yeah. Yeah. So that feeling of there's, there's always a good right? Brene Brown quote. Oh, for, I love uh, for every occasion. <laughs> I'm a big fan. She's, yeah, me too. But you know, uh, I, this resonates for me. I, uh, I think about on the on the weekend. I was at a, a rally, and and you know, people tend to come up and say nice things, and mm-hmm. they they come up and say. John, John, th- thank you for all the work you're doing. You're really doing a lot, mm-hmm. and you know. And my knee-jerk reaction, every single time. I mean, I've got to actually work on this. Is like, oh my God, give me a break! Like, I'm. What am I doing? You know, there's people, you know, facing the Basij in somewhere in 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 Kurdistan right now in Zahedan. You know what right. I'm. Uh, and and somebody actually pointed that out to me and said, dude, you know, g- give yourself a break. You're throwing yourself into this, and you're. You know, doing as much as you can. Why are you reacting that way? But, but it is that feeling of nothing can possibly be enough because it's so horrific. I mean, yeah. the, you know, uh, yeah. people are being executed. People are yeah. being, you know, collected on the street. People are being detained for the the craziest of reasons, which we'll of course get into as we do every every show. Um, and even you know the the idea of people warning those of us who are speaking out publicly you know be mm-hmm. careful you know you don't uh, and when i went to turkey and doing that it just seems so silly, small to me compared to what the you know the 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 a public figure like Tarnali Zusti and what she's done and and we'll get to that in a moment so it's 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 a combination right now i'm finding of of people having a uh 
a tough time, uh, and I think there's some exhaustion. I think that all of the things Dr. K was on the show two weeks ago, three weeks ago, talking about insomnia, a lot of mm-hmm. Iranians are not mm-hmm. sleeping well right now around the world. Even though there's this feeling of hope too that this is the change is coming that uh, revolution is afoot, it's it's a difficult difficult time and I think maybe not unrelated to that is this feeling of um, a bit of a creeping feeling of disbelief that maybe this this it's not the revolution isn't happening you know mm-hmm. that that uh, and that's why I wanted to do that opening essay today about this being a marathon not a sprint and some perspective on how revolutions happen and that you can't expect it all to sort of come in a in a package you know really quickly but but I, those are the feelings that i am that at least in my radius mm-hmm. that i'm i'm kind of energetically getting from people are you finding that Peggy? oh yeah i mean i've talked about the this idea of quote-unquote burnout for for months now i mean i felt it quite early on myself because i think at the onset of of this well first it was the uprising and then you know everyone kind of came on board with the revolution but at the onset of this i think it was so um you know it was so fresh for lack of a better term and i think everyone was doom scrolling at a higher speed and there was more news coming out from you know social media and um, news coming from iran and pictures and images and this and that and so i think we were so bombarded by it kind of early on that I felt that burnout quite quickly and you know like you mentioned I think it was a month or so into it I just I had to take two or three days and I just kind of shut off my phone one weekend Um, so I think you know it's been impacting us and the longer this goes on and and you know like you said it's a marathon and not a sprint it will be continuing for some time we really need to understand this idea of you know looking at this information and and you know how are we being productive receiving it sharing it you know talking about it all of that so you know i i definitely believe in that burnout shaya what have you been experiencing in terms of the conversations you've been having or yourself that is um i mean related to like as you said the it's it's marathon it's not sprint <laughs> it just came to my mind like um uh, at the beginning of covid the virus everyone they they are they're thinking that okay next month is gone next so but it took two years a new virus to like we can take over and it's not completely gone we are talking about a regime it's like a virus for 43 years they they are in a country so yeah we have to give ourselves like passion and motivation and it will be gone yet are you seeing and hearing that deflation from people around you uh, a lot and uh, even myself like at the beginning of the movement I was writing songs I was very active but right now I I I think that okay I have to keep my energy it's a long way so yeah, yeah. but the, the scary thing is is that um, and maybe this is what makes it so daunting is that we're we're now in a bit of a corner because um, if we stop, we're giving up on, as I was mentioning in the essay too, you know, we're giving up on all of those people that, you know, who are it's up to 20,000 now in jail. And we're giving up on the, the people, the kids whose names we've been screaming, who've been, ex- you've been killed, you know, murdered. We're giving up on uh, a, a lot, <laughs> you know, and, and so stopping is not an option. And at the at the same time, um, continuing is daunting because yes, it is settling in that you don't, as you say, defang a despotic regime that has figured out how to rule with an iron fist for forty three years overnight. Just ain't gonna happen. It's it's not 
it's it's really not Gaddafi, you know. Um, it, it, in fact, they've watched all that happen in the region and go, okay, here's how we double down to make sure that that doesn't doesn't happen for us. Exactly. So I just wanted to mention um, what happens or what's been happening, as you mentioned, that a lot of people um, are kind of losing hope and, you know, they uh, they don't want to move forward anymore. Um, I'm pretty sure that you're uh, familiar with the, the stress responses, fight, flight and freeze, right? Um, so when we are, when the sympathetic um, nervous system is activated, when we are very angry, um, we go into the fight or flight mm -hmm. mode, right? Um, but when we are in fight or flight state. Just for people who are listening and don't know, haven't been in therapy like some okay. of us for years. <laughs> <laughs> fight means to engage, to kind of fight back. Engage, flight fight, means run away run from Run away, yeah. exactly. But, but no matter what, in fight or flight, um, we think that we can. So we can, so we are basically moving forward, right? With whatever the threat or the basically the danger is. Right. And in this case, it's a lot of them are real threat and a lot of uh, them are uh, perceived threats, right? So, but what happens is we think that after a long time, when we are in fight or flight state, uh, we are going to go back to the rest and digest and, you know, um, uh, just think that okay so we're, ju we're just going to be fine you mm -hmm. know again but it doesn't happen when we are in fight or flight state for a very long time or when we are exposed to more stressors let's say a lot of us are not just involved in and uh, the protests in iran a lot of us have maybe are we are experiencing illnesses or family problems or financial problems right so that's the time when the nervous system, instead of going to the rest and digest state, um, it goes into the shutdown and freeze mode. Mm. And when we freeze, we have that state of mind that I can't, I can't anymore. Mm. Uh, we feel hopeless, we feel helpless, uh, we feel stuck, we feel, um, um, numb mm. and i think that that's what's happening with a lot of people right now let's hit some of the points for our rook roundtable before we get to our our featured guests coming up uh avin tavakoli and massa townsend um i mentioned taruna ali dusti this is the um arguably one of iran's most famous actors uh, and she famously um, posted a photo of herself last month with no hijab and many of us immediately you know reposted it and shared mm -hmm. it and said this is really brave it's interesting I don't know who it was but we had a couple of guests on who said well actually she's kind of got impunity because she's so famous they're not going to make an example of her they're not actually not going to do anything to her well sure enough she's now been um, arrested and uh, we don't know exactly what the where, where this is going, but this was this has been big news in in the Iranian community for the last 
couple of days? Yeah, I mean, since uh, news of her arrest came out, I think it was late Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, there's been an outpouring of, you know, support and solidarity for her, concern for her safety. Um, there was reports of, you know, people from um, the arts community in Iran gathering in front of Evin Prison, which is where she's reported to be um, being kept or held. Um, so there was protests that we saw. Um, we saw, obviously, you know, all sorts of messages on social media. Um, I think most famously, we saw that viral video from director and actor Mani Hariri, um, which, you know, I just, I have to talk about for a moment. But can we get to that? Yeah. But yeah, let, let, let me, I want to come to that. But first, I want to just deal with the reaction to Tarone, mm-hmm. which has generally been, um, she's she's one of the brave souls who stepped Absolutely. up in such a big way that, that, that now maybe they are going to make an example of her. Uh, God forbid, in a way that um, we had thought maybe they wouldn't because Mm -hmm. she's too big a name, you know? Yeah, I mean, and the other thing to remember is, you know, she's been one of those people who um, has kind of been vocal nonstop. You know, it wasn't just that image that um, that went viral. I think that was one of those pictures that ended up becoming something that everybody shared and a lot of people saw. But the reality is, you know, she's been outspoken on so many different platforms at so many different times over the years and not just, you know, recently. Um, So I think she's one of those people that, yes, her fame had helped her up to a certain point but we see with this regime i mean there's unexpected and it's it's worth mentioning that she she has made a conscious decision to stay in iran mm-hmm. you know she she we have a a mutual friend who had put us in touch a few years ago and tyrone was asking me about coming to canada and you know maybe it's something she was considering and uh and then she decided that she's going to stay in iran right. and you know she's a very very talented actor could probably have a thriving business as an actor outside of iran but um made that decision to stay and and even now speaking out made that decision uh to stay mm-hmm. and um which of course is is dangerous stuff um sorry you you were saying something about the reactions that we have to to someone like taran ali dusty uh speak to the kind of um pendulum swing of emotions that we feel particularly uh, anger that you see in the community um, tell me what you're talking about when it comes to her so when it comes to Tarana and so many other people I remember when I saw um, the news that um, she was detained and arrested so um, I immediately remember um, the the days that she was basically accused of wearing a um, a hat or a headscarf or something on the red carpet. And I remember... When she was at those film festivals, mm-hmm. like exactly, Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. Exactly, Cannes Film Festivals. And she was attacked by so many people, right? And I was thinking that now that she... Like, people are praising her mm-hmm. and supporting her. And um, this She was is, attacked, sorry, as because she'd be considered to be kowtowing to the regime somehow exactly. by putting a headscarf on or exactly something. exactly so to me i was thinking that this is what we have been um observing uh, since the start mm-hmm. of the 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 revolution i would say um and we basically it's the in psychology we call it um cognitive distortion like we see things through our cognitive distortions like it's all or nothing hmm. uh, thinking it's the person is either good or bad you know, this person is honest or not honest. This person is, you know, uh, supporting or not supporting. Yeah. So there is no 
gray area, mm-hmm. which I don't understand at all. And that has actually caused a lot of um, aggression, yeah. I would say, among people. It's so confusing because maybe I'll talk about this with Massa Townsend too, because she's getting some backlash because she's a Republican and stuff. But, you know, we speak, we keep saying there's unity in the diaspora. And, and one of the beautiful things that's emerged from this, this revolution so far is this incredible unity. And somebody will say that, and then in the next sentence, go, I hate that comedian. He made this joke that I disagree <laughs> with, and he should be, you know. And you sort of yeah. go, Whoa, wow, this is yeah. intense stuff. There's an intensity of feelings, yeah. and that leads to cognitive distortion. And it's so quick. Sorry, not yeah. to interrupt you, but I think. I've seen this happen on so many different occasions over the last couple of months and it's almost like instantaneous so it's exactly yeah. what you're saying with mm-hmm. with regards to Tarana for example I remember when she was at Cannes mm-hmm. and everyone was you know criticizing her and fast forward what that was in the summer I think like early or May or June something like that mm-hmm. and now look at this you know we're, we're almost six months later and probably those same people who were saying you know oh she's with the regime and she's this and that you know things change and I think it's it's what I find almost funny, for lack of a better term, is the speed in which, mm-hmm. you know, we change our minds about people and, and people's actions and things like that. And I think it's it goes back to the conversations that we were having around the whole shaming idea, you know, months back where individuals were being shamed one minute and then the next minute if they said, you know, a certain phrase or if they posted a certain picture or something like that, then all of a sudden not only were they not shamed, but they were now becoming heroes. Mm. So it's such a quick on and off, I mean, exactly yeah that's what has been happening even with me like i post something or a picture with somebody and then i get attacked mm-hmm. are you <laughs> involved with this person why and then they just oh i'm just gonna unfollow you okay unfollow me like i don't understand like not that i don't understand i do um but again that's the part that a lot of people um again going back talking about anger um Anger is like an iceberg, you know? Mm. We just see the anger on the top, but there are so many of these other emotions underneath anger uh, that trigger anger. And it's just better, especially in our culture, actually, because we are used to, you know, showing our anger and um, be aggressive um, as kind of showing our power, right? Mm. So it's just easier to show our emotions as anger and attack people than showing vulnerability mm-hmm. and saying that, oh, you know what, I feel so sad or you know what, I feel so ashamed or I feel so guilty that I'm not doing anything right oh. now or I I just feel so embarrassed because I didn't know about all of this, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So it's we just- We need some sort of a helpful chart yeah. to a grid to show <laughs> us who we should really be angry at and not, you know, <laughs> if they're enabling the regime in legitimate ways, we cast them out. But if they told a joke we didn't like, uh, yeah. we, you know, <laughs> slap them on the head a little bit and then go, okay, let's move yeah. on, you know? And I think one more thing to mention is that, you know, people are allowed to change their ideas about things. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, it's hard because with with the current situation you're on and with the regime it's you know they're so horrible that i understand you know the anger and these feelings and all these feelings that you mentioned but i think you know there's something to be said for people who maybe weren't following or maybe didn't know or weren't as educated it it, it really does depend i've got to step in because i I mean you know it's like if you know if if uh 
Raisi comes out Absolutely. today and goes, actually, guys, no, no. you we're, know, we're definitely not. I was punking you. I'm actually Raisi. with the, you know, I mean, you know, we're not going to say, oh, okay, yeah. no problem, right? No, I mean, but you know, I have friends of mine who have lived here their whole lives, and you know, we're we're not as involved with the Iranian community, and we're those people who, you know, like you mentioned, they they didn't like listening to news and have actually purposely removed themselves from the community and from following news mm-hmm. because it's been so hard on them because maybe they spent more time in Iran and things like that, and there are some names and figures and. And and I'm not talking about big names like Raisi, but I don't know, a random actor or um, an author or this and that. And, you know, they're just starting to understand what has been happening for the last 20, 30 years that they've left the country. And I think individuals like those, if they post a picture of someone who used to be associated with Nayak, for example, and they didn't know, and someone is attacking them and saying, oh, you must be with Nayak too. I think, you know, there needs to be some compassion as well yeah. for situations like that. It's a tough one. Um, well, you mentioned Mani Hakiki. This is the director um, who, it's funny because this this video that he's posted in support of Taranay Ali Dusti mm-hmm. uh, that's been going kind of viral in the Iranian circles, I, I, I thought it was amazing. I had, I was sure he wasn't in Iran. If yeah. he posted that, I asked Shia, and Shia was like, no, he's in Iran. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us what, what he said and why it resonated so much for you. Yeah, um, so the first part of the video, he basically is just expressing his concern for a friend of his, Taranani Dusti, who's been, you know, arrested, and he's saying that, uh, you know, he's concerned about her safety and hopes that wherever she is, she's safe. But really, it was the second part of the video that that really resonated with me. And so he takes a couple of minutes to address um, the Minister of Culture and Islamic Guidance, who I think in Farsi is Vazir Farhang Ershad Islami, if I'm yes. saying that correctly. Um, and so what had happened is it seems like a couple weeks back, this individual had come out and um, and I don't know if it was on TV or, or where he had said this, but he had kind of addressed the artistic community and said, you know, we're going to put our full efforts and full force behind um, film festivals and things for the community, the, the arts community. And we want people in Iran to put on concerts and, you know, uh, make more movies and and the Fadj International Film Festival is going to be coming up and this year we really want to support it and and was kind of making this case um, to the artistic community and so Mani Hariri was talking to this person and, and kind of addressing his comments towards him and saying you know you're the same person who for years and years has put pointed a finger in our face and said you can't do this and put restrictions on this community and and said all of these things and now you're trying to plead to us. But the real question is, who from the artistic community is going to want to make movies in this climate, in this country, with this regime? Which one of the citizens in Iran are going to attend these events? And he was kind of asking these pointed questions as if he was addressing this individual, and I just found it so moving. Is he not going to get... How how is he not arrested, Shia? He probably will be arrested. You think he'll be arrested? (laughs) I think so. I mean, based on the... I mean, you know... With that video? Well, I mean, all Taran Ali Dusty did was take take off a hijab. I mean, he's like saying all this stuff. I kind of thought, wow, if he's in Iran... Yeah, Yeah. I I think it's his third video since the uprising, Mm -hmm. which got viral. And in his first video, he said that... I won't leave Iran. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna stay here, and I, I'm gonna like um, de- defend my country. So, just to talk about a few things that are ha- happening this week before we wrap up the Rook Roundtable, there are there's another round of nationwide strikes 
that I guess began today, mm-hmm. right? There. Um, so what do we know about what's happening so far in Iran? Um, well, we saw, we've seen some videos and reports come out um, from Iran today. There was um, some employees at, I think it's industrial and operational units within the oil sector, and it's mostly within the south of Iran that we've seen these videos and reports come out of. So we saw, again, uh, walkouts, strikes um, from individuals in, in those sectors. Um, there's also... <clears throat> reports of Iranian teachers who who um, staged a sit-in, I think, to show their solidarity and kind of condemn the killing of so many students. Um, so we saw that as well. We've seen videos of, um, I think there was um, a specific street, and I can't recall the name right now, but a street in Tehran where there was a huge, almost... Um, like walking protest. There was just a a large group of individuals who had kind of gathered and they were walking down this street chanting um, and asking for um, freeing political prisoners. Um, So we're starting to see those those same videos um, coming out from Iran and um, we've seen grassroots um, um, campaigns for uh, calling these strikes. And they started today and they're supposed to last for three days leading up to Shabi Yaldo. Right. Now Shabi Yaldo uh, Sarah, we um, should. What should we be doing with Shabi Yalda? Please tell. Oh, t- give me the <laughs> give me the party line on what. Uh, I mean, are we supposed What's to? What's the plan? Yeah, what is the plan? I wasn't um, uh, sure. I, I, this is Shabi Yalda is not usually a huge celebration, but uh, I've been to parties before that were Shabi Yalda parties. So well, I'm not Jean, sure. you know that a lot of like Iranians, a lot of Iranians. Um, are just waiting for an opportunity <laughs> to, you know, have huge parties. Yes. And Shabi Yalda could be one of that. I see. <laughs> but uh, generally speaking, Shabi Yalda is very, it's kind of like a more intimate family, you know, close friends gathering and just having, a, I guess, a kind of a quiet night, I would say. Okay. Yeah, and it has some... Um like historical context in yeah. terms of going back to Persian culture and the reading of you know poetry and, and like you said gathering yeah. with family. It's and actually one like of that. the one of the things that the Islamic Republic well that's exactly, denounces that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say actually denounces, okay. but yeah. I mean, they would never come out and say that explicitly. But yes, I mean, you they know, this, they're not big fans of. That's Shabbat right. Yalda, I mean, yeah. we've we've seen this regime kind of you know over the past forty some odd years continue to push this agenda of celebrating sadness mm-hmm. and more Islamic rooted. Mm. Um, celebrations, for lack of a better term. So anything that has, you know, ties to Persian culture and heritage, like Noruz even, or Yalda, of course, we don't see them being in support of it in the same way. So. Or Charsham Esuri. Or Charsham Esuri. Shabi Yalda is usually, this is a night that is on December 21st. It's the winter solstice. Winter solstice, yeah. yeah. So 21st or 20th, depending on the year. I think and Shia, what is your position on um, what, we, what we should be doing for Shabi Yalda? I, I'd say 100% we have to celebrate Yalda. And again, as Pega said, this regime for 40 decades, they just uh, propaganda in grief ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And with griefing, we cannot beat them. We have to energize mm-hmm. ourselves by sadness. They, they would beat us you know hmm. they're this yeah interesting and uh, in terms of things that have been happening there are ongoing demonstrations there were demonstrations mm-hmm. around the world on the weekend uh, there was one in Los Angeles that we'll talk to Massa about coming up in in a little bit there was uh, a big demonstration here on Sunday but there was on Saturday here in Toronto there was also a, a giant car rally yeah. uh, that I uh, we both took did you take play you, you were there too yes, Sarah okay yes. Uh, all three of us were involved in that, and and um, 
uh, it's not the most environmentally friendly form of protest, <laughs> yes. but but I thought it was an inspired idea, it was. which was we all take our cars and and occupy the a, a major artery, the biggest street in in, mm-hmm. in Toronto, the biggest street in the world, actually the longest street in the world, Young Street, uh, which goes right down the middle of Toronto. If you're from uh, Canada, you'd know this, uh, and um, and. So we, we met north of the city, and then the hundreds and hundreds, I don't know what the final count was, it was probably mm-hmm. about a 1,000 cars or something, and many of us put giant signs, uh, Masa Amini, or the Shida Khoshid flag, or the Women Life Freedom sign, I had a big one on my car, and, and, and drove down there, and it was a, it was a, you can't, you couldn't miss it. The holiday shoppers <laughs> were certainly going to see what. So good. I just want to give a shout out to the organizers of that a, a group called uh, it's a non-political, non-partisan group called Stand United for Iran mm-hmm. that I thought mm-hmm. did a really good job of organizing that. It's a, yeah. it's a strange thing to organize, but they had flags for everybody and they had this car rally. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean, when I was first saw um, the posters on Instagram, I was thinking, you know what are the logistics of this going to be? How are they going to organize this? And I had all these questions. And and anytime there's any sort of a, a rally or demonstration or protest or whatever else, and I think this goes back to university days and the chaos that I would see ensue with protests and demonstrations and things like that, a part of me is always worried about the logistics of things and how they're going to manage and, and what it'll mean for people in those surrounding areas. And I think with the car rally, that was kind of forefront of my mind. But they did such a great job with volunteers, with handing out, you know, um, kind of unified posters and yeah. things like that so that anyone who was seeing these cars and seeing what was going on, they could really make out what the purpose was yeah. and, and what it is that we were protesting or, or trying to get across. And, I, and I've got to say, I don't know if you guys experienced this, but being in the car, first of all, driving alongside uh, others who had the flags and it was was fun. Everybody was sort of mm-hmm. giving a nod and a high five yeah. and all that. But I, but non, I don't know, non Iranians and non people participating yeah. were also honking as yes. they would go by mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. waving as you know you drive by them and mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, it felt like there was a lot of support and and that sure. that obviously was was energizing. Uh, it was the longest traffic jam I think I've ever been. Yes. It took about a, four <laughs> hours for us to drive, you know, uh, yeah, a few a blocks. Stretch but that would yeah. typically take like ten minutes. But honestly. it was a really strong showing, and and I mean the Toronto community is definitely there. I did, I didn't. Uh, if it didn't feel disrespectful, I would be making some jokes about this. Like <laughs> nothing says revolution to protest like driving your Mercedes. Uh, not me, but. Um, <laughs> You have, a, you have a Mercedes, don't you? No. Well, it's one of those kind of cars that you drive. <laughs> it is those white. Iranian I, I will cars. admit, it is a white yeah. car. <laughs> I mean, like nothing says that, yeah. <laughs> let's but I, but I have let's to support the poor, poor folks of Iran with, the with our gas guzzlers. from yeah. some of the people was amazing, too. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things I saw that yes. really, really stood oh out. God, I mean, yeah. you know, like there was um, there was this truck or like a flatbed, and they, mm-hmm. had, um, they had created these like um, nooses and like wooden kind of, mm-hmm. I guess, breakdown of like a I don't I don't know what to call it but it was just it it looked so profound and to have you know I was thinking someone who maybe doesn't know as much what's going on if they were to see that I can't see any way in which they wouldn't stop and say okay what is this what's going on and to to make something that garners that level of attention I thought was amazing and you know for all that we say about deflation and and you know people feeling tired and whatever it continues to be I mean I mean fast you know or, or reverse sorry reverse the tape back to four months ago mm-hmm. could you imagine 
in cities around the world. Look at the last seven days. Yeah. Sydney, Australia, 10,000 people. Oslo, the big one in LA on the mm-hmm. weekend. Montreal, there were thousands in the street. Yeah. You know, here in Toronto. It, it, could you imagine, and with all with proud with Iranian flags, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, not the current Iranian flag of the Islamic Republic, of course, but it's a pretty amazing thing to be it part is. of. It is, it is. I. It's like, to be honest, I didn't even, like I knew, but I didn't really realize how the community, how big the community is. Um, like when I, the, the first protest that we had, the rally with 50,000 people, I was just so impressed. I was so impressed. And I think that um, going back to, um, it's a marathon, not, uh, not a uh, sprint. Um, we should really um, keep doing what we are doing, but at the same time, we have to take care of ourselves. Yeah. We have to practice self-care. We have to have these, um, we have to get support from the community, from our friends, from our families. Like again, going back to like celebrating Yalda, why not? Yeah. You know, this is what we really need to kind of uh, relax our nervous system and regulate our nervous system to be able to fight. It's just so hard when you, you know, when you really get into the mindset of of what the reasons why people are being, you know, we mm-hmm. have a dear friend, uh, uh, Shailene, who's in, in Istanbul right now. And I don't know, as of today, last time I spoke to her was on the weekend, but uh, but it's been 25 days now. She has not heard anything from her brother, who's a oh, poet wow. who was arrested. The family's heard nothing, nothing, you know? And it's uh, it's really, really scary stuff and, and sad stuff. Um, <clears throat> a funny note on this this thing about seeing the crowds. Uh, I'm so used to now seeing these images of mm-hmm. the Iranian crowds, the amazing overhead shots of, um, I saw these amazing crowds in Buenos Aires, like millions of people uh, on the streets. And I was like, that's not the right flag though. Oh, yeah. right. Messi, the Argentina won the World Cup. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> that yeah, was a pretty yeah. impressive uh, crowd that they had uh, yeah. in Argentina. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's like, that doesn't look like, which no. version of the Iranian flag are they? This is a blue and white one that's yeah. got stripes. Uh, it's almost like I associate crowds now to the ongoing revolution and that's it. As that's if right. If there's any right. other crowd anywhere, it just doesn't register. You, you know yes. what? Actually, Gian, um, uh, at the rally yesterday or on Saturday, um, there was a car with a flag, with the Argentinian flag, right? And my mind was so into our, you know, our rally and our country. And I was, and I kept looking and I'm like, what, what is that? Is it with us? Like, what, what are they trying to show? And I was like, is this Jewish? What is this? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Matt yeah. was like, that's Argentinian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Although I did notice a disproportionate number of Iranians claiming Messi as what, you know, I mean, it's like Freddie Mercury. Like, if, could we find some lineage of his? Like, Messi, like it was like, there's so many fans of Argentina. I think just below Germany, it's probably up there on the list for a lot of and maybe Brazil a lot of Iranian football fans are big fans of Argentina yes. and it was of course lovely to see uh, the greatest of all here, time right, getting, you were yeah, pretty happy about me. that win yeah. <laughs> yeah. it was Shia running around with yeah. the Argentinian flag in <laughs> oh, the middle yeah? of our, our rally <laughs> the other day that's right um, folks we have our our uh, our 
documentary is on uh, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Rook Media. It just came out last Thursday. Uh, check it out there in its entirety. You can see clips from it on our Instagram page and elsewhere. But um, the revolution from the backyard of Iran, conversations with these Iranians in Istanbul from that close pro- proximity to Iran who are supporting the revolution. Um, getting some really, really wonderful comments about this and, and interesting comments uh, on all of our platforms. The Revolution from the Backyard of Iran now uh, posted at youtube.com slash Rook Media. Um, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for being part thank of the Rook you. Roundtable. It's really nice to have you here. Sarah Rahimi, make sure to follow her on her uh, social media platforms. We'll put a link to her from any description, uh, from the description on any platform you're listening to us on right now. Um, thank you, Shia, and thank you, Pega. We'll thank see you on the other side. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It's there that you can link to all these platforms. We are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. So we're coming to you on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, CastBox, if you like to see your visuals with Rook, switch over to YouTube. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian, check out our Telegram channel. You can subscribe on any of those platforms. And our website, rookmedia.com, is where you can actually support us by pressing the Support Us button. Let's get to our first guest. We're going to go to Zurich, Switzerland. Avin Tavakoli is a lawyer, a business advisor, and a community builder. She is the founder and CEO of a boutique firm based in Zurich, Tavakoli Advisory Switzerland, where she provides tailor-made solutions and advice to international clients. She was born and raised in a Kurdish family in Tehran and pursued her education in Switzerland. She has been very active in the last three months when it comes to the revolution, and she is going to help us navigate the waters of these political guardianships we've heard about. Avin Tavakoli, joining me right now from Zurich, Switzerland. Hello. Hi, Jan Jan. Good to be with you again. Thank you for the invite. Always, always good to have you on the program. How how are you holding up? You posted something yesterday saying you feel ten years older than you did three months ago. How how has this been for you? Yeah, I said actually not me personally, but some of us, many of us, because I hear it from so many people. And at the beginning, I just thought it's only me uh, that I felt like the pressure, the stress, the sadness. Uh, sometimes even the joy, the energy, such mixed feeling that we have gone through for the past three months. I just thought at the beginning it's only me, but I was receiving so many messages and sometimes even calls or voicemails and people who were saying these times have been so intense that these three months actually felt like 30 years. Yeah. Um, from the you know the shift that so many of us went through, not only with the like paradigm shift, uh, even maturity, evolution, um, uh, sadness, uh, yeah. the, the breaking under pressure, uh, the stress, and the amount, the load of pressure of the news, um, good and bad. Yeah. I mean, of course, maybe ten percent good and ninety percent negative, bad loss of uh, beloved people young souls innocent souls and this has brought me like really to to 
go deep a little bit also into myself and see, oh my God, what has happened inside of me? I realized it as I was like outside a couple of days ago and I was seeing like Christmas decorations everywhere and uh, people were like having glue wines and yeah. shopping and say, oh my God, Christmas is right in the corner. I and yeah. I didn't even see it coming. Yeah. For Iranians around the world, I think we're feeling like we're in some kind of a, um, bubble. It does seem. It does seem. Everything seems foreign to me in the same way. I sort of go, "Oh yeah, it's Christmas. People are having parties and not Iranians, you know." And 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 uh, it's a, it's a bit of an eye opener to sort of go, "Okay, we're we're in the middle of something else as a as a diaspora, as a global community." Um, you're a business person, and you're a lawyer, and. Um, you you're always quite busy, but I, as somebody who follows you, I've seen that you've been really consumed, uh, as as have I, as have many of us, in in talking about the revolution and wanting to do your part. Um, has that been a lifestyle switch for you in terms of what you've just literally been doing day to day for the last three months? Totally. Totally. That's actually what I wanted to say, and I'm very happy that you somehow maybe read my mind. Um, Jian, I think for many of us, I don't say for all of us, because there are some people um, in the diaspora and also in Iran that they are not really so engaged. Mm -hmm. It's okay. We cannot always expect 100% of a nation to feel and act um, and think the same. But for many of us who are so engaged and also so consumed, as you mentioned correctly, uh, we had, as I said, a total shift in our priorities, in our even personalities, um, character-wise, and also lifestyle, mm. you know? Uh, and also with my work, etc., things have totally changed. I had total different plans for my like last quarter of the year, and exactly, you know, uh, the, the outbreak of revolution was just mid-September, so mm -hmm. as people like go back to school or just pursue the last um, uh, few months of the year to like wrap up their plans or uh, their agenda and getting ready for a new year. And for me personally, I don't want to talk for everyone. For me personally, the whole thing changed. So I had to like swipe up everything to the to the side and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's adjust focus yeah. and things are different. I, I, I hear you, sister. I mean, I there's certainly people who have said to me in recent days, uh, for example, uh, you know, why, why are you spending so much time on this? Is this, you know, you're, you're really, really focused and, and it, and like, like it's impossible for me to think of not doing this. Um, and, and I don't, like you said, begrudge somebody who doesn't want to spend all of their time on this necessarily, but it really doesn't feel like an option to me. I, I, I one of the reasons I was really, happy to have you on today is because I really want someone to give us a bit of an explainer um, on these political sponsorships, uh, political guardianships. So let me get to that. But before we we, we do, you've said something um, recently. You said, freedom is a collective right, not an individual right. Hence, it becomes reality only if practiced and maintained by all of us. It seems kind of self-evident, but I want you to just untangle that. Tell us what you mean by that. Uh, I've been inspired, actually, by Martin Luther King, uh, as he was also using that similar uh, statement in one of his um, prominent speeches, and also by one of my favorite philosophers, uh, Immanuel Kant, and also goes back much, much, much earlier. But 
it has been also inside of me, not only inspired by those prominent um, people that I just mentioned, but also something individual for myself, individual um, uh, perspective, and also the way of my thoughts and my feelings that I know and it's proven for us human being as social animals as long as we are not living and loving and dying on one uh, lonely island we need to practice also the birthrights and those core values uh, in a collective uh, manner because you know i cannot be free in a in a prison cell hmm. i cannot practice my freedom in my own home as long as nobody else is there that I can come to a uh, to interaction or to maybe collaboration or to conflict or whatever we want to see as 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 I said as social animals we are somehow uh, this is inevitable to to be in contact and in connection with other people as I said we're social animals so we don't live an individual life in uh, let's say loneliness if we don't want to do it, then we are somehow obliged to respect other people's freedom beside ours. Right. Because I remember, um, I think I know which uh, speech you're um, referring to, which was actually in the beginning of the, the yes. revolution. It was yes. one of my talks in front of the mayor house here in Zurich. It was a rainy day, and I have, I think, my Kurdish um, yes. headband as well. Uh, and people were telling me, yeah, it is Iran. It's too far away. It's Middle East. It's always... Uh, subject to crisis, etc. I said, you cannot say something is too far away because philosophically, socially, culturally, historically, scientifically, uh, however you want to uh, uh, discuss this and, and analyze this, whatever happens in another corner of the world, it will have its impact and effect also in this part of the world. Yes. Whether you want to talk business, whether you want to talk, as I said, um, historically, socially, culturally, it will have its effect. And you cannot say, oh, I'm living in this free country, so why should I uh, contribute to the freedom of other people in other countries? Yeah, because af- afterwards we will see people who are, let's say, uh, escaping from their countries or moving to the other countries this this problem is is a collective problem right right and the reverse is true too which is that as many people have been pointing out if the free if freedom or change comes to a significant country like Iran in a significant geopolitical area of the world it's going to have a ripple effect on all the countries around it and in fact the entire world like this is what i try to say it sounds like hyperbole hyperbole when we say it but this revolution is not just about Iran. It, it, it can change the world, right? Jianjian, I mentioned that also, I think it was mid-October as I was invited to the Swiss National TV. And I mentioned that actually in a podium that we had with a few other experts as well, that they were saying, yeah, Iran has been so isolated, so it cannot affect other areas. And I said, come on. I mean, let's not be naive. Mm. You just said in the neighboring countries or in the region, and I was happy that you said in the world. That was my statement that I said, it is not an Iran problem. It is not a Middle East problem. It's a world problem. Either we want it or not, it's a global problem. Now that we see that Iran is in the midst of a crisis, if we do not contribute, if we do not help those people, we will see the whole crisis is going to also be contagious to to the other parts of the world as well. You know, 
if we want it or not, Iran has a strategical, you know, geographical position. Historically, it has been always um, of high relevance for mm. other regions and also culturally the same. Business-wise, you know, we have 80 million in Iran and we have 8 million in diaspora. So literally, uh, these uh, uh, government or this system has built a second Iran outside of Iran. Yeah. So we cannot somehow neglect or ignore uh, the influence and the impact of the Iranians in and outside of Iran uh, in the whole world. So yeah, but as well Iran. as well as it was pointed out by a couple of people in our documentary that we just did in Turkey. Um, you know, uh, in a in a in a country like Turkey, where obviously there is more freedom, social freedom, et cetera, cultural than than Iran, but there is a level of su- suppression as well. Uh, even if, on the face of it, the Turkish government or regime doesn't uh, isn't friends with the Iranian one, um, they see this revolution as a potential threat as well it's the threat of a good example you might say it's the threat that if freedom comes to iran that people in turkey will agitate for those similar freedoms that they actually currently don't have so that rip, ripple effect can be can be powerful and and this notion of, of freedom as a collective right i mean i don't want to go too far in the rabbit hole on this and this will seem very elemental for uh, students of philosophy out there so forgive me for that but it's such it's so interesting like exactly what you're saying um, you need the cooperation of others of a community for freedom to exist you can't you can't say i am free uh in a vacuum you need it 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 needs the chips need to fall all around you for that freedom to actually exist you need that cooperation in which case it's probably the most powerful argument for why everyone should be on board um for this revolution when somebody sort of says well what what you know what 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 good is it for me to be part of this or I'm busy or I've got stuff to do? It's This is what it comes down to, right? That if we're not doing this together, yeah. uh, it's that not going to exactly happen. That was actually the reason that I had that statement that day because I heard it so many times. Yes, Switzerland, neutrality, Europe, too far away. Uh, we have our own problem, Ukraine, Russia war. Um, now we have uh, inflations. We have, uh, uh, and I was like, wait, wait, wait. There are sometimes obligations, there are rights that can be practiced and be successful and sustainable only in a collective manner. I'm sorry. You cannot then think, okay, when Iran already succeeds, then we can become business partners and we can come to your countries. No, unless you also contribute to, to our revolution. Yeah, then you're most welcome. Then you can do business with us. Then we will provide you this and that opportunity. And then that's a different match. And then you won't feel like um, you're just coming for a free lunch, you know, you right. feel like you have done something as well, because we are also contributing to the freedom in these countries by, you know, by, right. by giving our shares. I mean, you just mentioned that I had my education here. Actually, it's, it has been my second education because as most of us Iranian diasporas, we have two lives. Um, so I had my first education and career and work and everything actually in Iran first. And then as I came here, I started from scratch. Law was when I started here and so I was already 26 as I came to Switzerland so this has been something that we have contributed to these countries as well by way of uh, putting our intellectual values by um, studying education working and providing value so I'm sure if one day we succeed I mean I don't say if I say when Mm. because I'm sure it will happen when we succeed and even 20% of the Iranians in the diaspora decides to go back 
to their country. I tell you, the Western countries will have a problem. Let me, um, speaking of contributing, let me ask you about uh, one of the ways non-Iranians, um, some non-Iranians have been contributing. This, you know, a fortnight ago, a couple of weeks ago uh, even, I don't think that in our lexicon, in our language, we'd, we'd heard these terms political sponsorships and political guardianships uh, um, or patronage of that kind uh, very often. And now there's a lot of talk about it. It's, it's emanating from Europe um, and from EU countries, exactly where you're located. This idea of high-profile or political actors in Europe, um, and I suppose potentially around the world, sponsoring or being the guardians of those who are put on death row in Iran. Can you, in a very brief and, and basic way for us, explain what this idea is and where it came from? Yes, sure. I mean, first, as a lawyer, let me correct two, three terms that you just used. Uh, it is not about sponsorship because as when we mention sponsorship, people right away think about financial stuff as right. well. Um, so that is not the case. It is a pure guardianship. It is a sarparasti, you know, uh, and it's like in, in the German term also they call it Patenschaft, which is somehow the same term if we use it in English as godmother or godfather right. of someone. Can, so it is not. Can uh, I can I push back, though, as a as a wordsmith myself, I would just say that sometimes maybe not uh, maybe it's a, a, a North American thing. Sometimes we use the word sponsor, uh, say, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about sponsors as somebody who is uh, a support person uh, rather than. But you're right. It could be confused with financial, and that's not what this is about. I'll try and use guardianships from now on. So what is the idea? What are political guardians? Um, it has started actually, like, it, it has this history of almost 20 years, and not in, in the EU, but in Germany. Germany has been playing a very bold uh, role in this in this concept and in practicing uh, guardianship, uh, as they call it, politische Patenschaft political guardianship for the um, political prisoners, especially like artists, political activists uh, in prison that they have, um, that they lose their voices because of the tyranny and yeah. see now it is the same case now in Iran that is happening. How it became bold, we have actually a very active group of, of um, Iranian in diaspora in Germany that they have been doing an awesome job also raising awareness also with this IGFM, IGFM, uh, um, organization for human rights in Germany uh, and they have been raising awareness with them and uh, trying to to uh, position actually this crisis in Iran and especially after the second execution in Iran happens say so you see this these these people are serious so and we have now another more than at that time 80,000 and now we're talking about almost 20,000 uh, people in their custody that yeah. this could be a threat for each and every one of them especially those that they are being um, you know charged by waging war against god or corruption on earth in somehow like self-imposed or fake trials unfair trials without even having access to the lawyers or and the lawyers of their choice, which is actually uh, totally like against not only uh, local but also international laws. That uh, if the charge is so high, if it's about your life, 
first of all, you need to have the, the, the possibility also to go against that verdict. Second of all, you have to have access to the lawyer of your choice because it is not about a fine or a, to be sued on a on a uh, trial cost or something. It's about your life. I mean, life and death, death penalty. You need to have all the privilege of a judiciary system. And okay, but the obvious question is, how does a... Um, a well-meaning, albeit well-meaning or and, and wonderful sage person in Germany um, who declares themselves the political guardian of, of um, Tarone Ali Dusti uh, or somebody who's been jailed uh, in Iran or even put on death row, how does that person help from outside of the borders? Yeah, that's a very good question. And as the term is saying, it's political guardianship. So the best people who can take this function or this role are those who have like a kind of political function in their country, especially if they have a seat in the parliament, in the Senate. So if, if they're a parliament member, then they have this privilege that as a, they can use their political privilege to uh, get in touch easily uh, with, the, with the embassies, with the ambassadors, or with the consulates of those countries. If we know in Iran, some of the countries, I think including Canada, still do not have their um, embassies working in, in Tehran since a couple of years but uh that is actually the function of these people as political guardians so they the best uh role that they can have is when they are a member of the parliament for example because otherwise um celebrities or a lot of influential people they could take on the role as well but that political privilege is not granted to them and especially these political uh, guardians uh, almost 99 percent of them they get also a protection and also special services from the foreign ministry of their country mm. you know uh, so that is actually giving them a lot of power to to move forward and one thing that is very important for your audience and also for whoever is just just listening to this um afterwards is that we don't have we we have to distinguish political guardians from attorneys or lawyers or legal representations mm. that has nothing to do with that they can be also people with legal background but that's not what they do for these people in the prison you know they are not allowed to take on their legal uh, representatives because that needs uh, also uh, that the consent of the person and also the registration in the judiciary of the, the in Iranian judiciary for the trial so that is not the case it is about taking care of the case of a person who is in a specific critical sensitive situation legally especially now as we know with our cases in iran yeah. because of moharaba or something they are in uh, execu at execution risk so that yeah. is imminent life risk yeah that person um if, if i may add two sentences and that person as political guardian he can or she can start taking over the case study the case ask uh, documents to be delivered to her about the station or the stadium of the um, the legal procedure, the the trial, who is the lawyer in Iran, whether it's a just or let's say a lawyer of the choice or like um, state attorney, etc., mm -hmm. or uh, whether the, the the trial has been 
going on in a in a fair model uh, whether that person has the had the possibility or has the possibility to visit the family or the close people to himself whether he or she is in good health condition mm -hmm. as we know most of uh, our uh, lovely innocent kids in the prisons they are suffering from systematic rape torture abuse mm -hmm. um, and so on and so forth so these are the things that that person in his or her role as a political guardian can and must and will get those information from Iran. This is, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's empowering uh, when you see these um, significant political uh, actors, MPs, you know, uh, from uh, European countries, Germany, etc., being these guardians, but becoming these political guardians, bringing awareness to these cases. But um, and and not to pour any um, you know, water on it, but uh, is there any evidence that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is the this is the back and forth that we have, right? Your colleague, um, I say colleague, she's also a lawyer. Um, Elika Labarm was on last week and talking about um, the importance of why we say say their name, you know, because uh, it affects uh, it. It can potentially save their lives, etc. Um, and I kind of go back and forth on this. On the one hand, I go yes, absolutely, and I'm playing my part to say their name, etc. And on the other hand, I think this unethical group of murderers in, in Iran, the these these mullahs, this this theocracy. Is there any evidence that they give a flying f about you know any of this? Right. I mean, is it really going to make a difference to them that some MP in Germany says no, don't do anything to too much? You know. Jianjian, uh, the first evidence is that after um, our awesome Majidjaz um, Rahnavard, no execution has taken place anymore. So that is one glimpse of hope already and it was exactly the time that this political sponsors now i'm saying sponsorship as well guardianships uh, became viral and then they officially announced those on the social media and the parliaments and started uh, corresponding letters and asking for evidences and the well-being of these people in their custody as well so that is one evidence because this regime as you said they I mean, there's no guarantee for nothing. They break and violate their own laws, their own Sharia yeah. laws. We saw that last week there were a couple of those um, like um, ancient uh, mullahs were, were waking up out of the, the ashes and saying, oh, actually, this was not real Muharaba and you just killed those two young guys, right. um, a, you know, with false charges, etc. So it means they are even in... Um, paradox with their own laws or with yeah. their own sharia uh, rules and regulations etc so that is one point i always tell people please do not see now this um concept of political guardianship as a guarantee to stop this execution right. loops but it has a very heavy weight and power first of all you mentioned to raise awareness second of all to push and um uh, exercise more political pressure because as I said, these are politicians. They have a voice in their parliament. Yeah, yeah. When they announce their next, um, uh, um, let's say, um, godchild or uh, prisoner in, in Iran in their uh, guardianship, they are announcing it in official letters in the parliament right, or in the Senate. Right. So and the regime in Iran, the regime in Iran will therefore be actively defying not just the rights of the Iranian that they're they're murdering, uh, but but defying the 
the will of somebody in the West who's in a prominent political position? It is not the will, Jian. It is their image because their image is mm. already, I mean, scratched and broken and you know, damaged brutally and drastically, which is good. And that has been what we have been trying to do in the diaspora to, um, to, to remove or to jeopardize their legitimacy and their credibility amongst Western or let's say international. Uh, community, not only Western countries, because we're talking about the international uh, community. So that is one thing. And that will have, has been actually very important for them because they have been uh, sending their representatives or their people everywhere in the UN or in different commissions and in assemblies around the world to say, our country is a country of Golobolbol, you know, women are doing awesome. We are actually great. And these people who are coming to the streets, they are powered and, and uh, supported by some Western evil countries, right. etc. But now through this kind of stuff, every guardian who is coming and take that word, they cannot be all liars and, you know, supporters of evil, etc. So each and every one of us, that's why I'm telling to people, every day that we are taking a new guardian or a new guardianship, because some of them are taking multiple uh, people or cases, I tell to our people or in my community, in my Instagram and Twitter, say every day when we are getting one new guardianship, it means we are getting one more mm. voice, one more people, person in our team, Team Iran. Mm. That's very important. But just to, to give also a uh, realistic um, view to this concept is there is no guarantee for nothing because we are dealing with an evil, barbaric uh, terrorist yeah. regime and they know how to, uh, to violate their own laws, international laws, treaties, uh, uh, conventions and everything. That has been uh, their job for the past 44 years. So yeah. we cannot expect them to respect everything. One last thing is you ask for evidence. Um, real case evidence was actually one of my Instagram lives as I had with one of the um, guardians uh, of our um, mm -hmm. beloved people in prison, which has been this uh, prominent case of Mahan Sadrat, mm. who was sentenced to death and who was expecting to be executed in a few hours the night that uh, that lady from Hamburg in Germany took his uh, guardianship. And uh, the same night, uh, the, the early morning afterwards, this post was coming up and got viral that uh, Mahan Sadrat didn't uh, get executed and his um, verdict has been uh, declared void mm. and now the trial has been closed that trial the old trial and now they uh, decided to reopen a trial because they thought they have made a mistake you know that has been right. what they have been telling right. so i saw a story of his local lawyer in iran that he posted and we can understand maybe he was under pressure and you know they're living there um that he shared this story that um the suspension of the execution of mahan Satra had nothing to do with political guardians right. and any influence of the western countries it was a very internal case and affair so which is fine, we don't care. What was important for us was Mahan Sadrat is still breathing. Yes, yes. Although he's still in prison, and many others yes. who were um, supposed to be executed the past days, because this political guardianship is extremely new, but it's expanding as hell, and we're very happy about it. And I personally have been working so intensely on it as hell. It's um, a really, it's a really powerful idea. Thank you for the education on it, Avin. And it, as I say, it's always 
good to have you on the program. Before I let you go, let me, um, you know, since we had you on at the beginning of the uprising or in those first uh, two or three weeks after the killing of Massa Amini, now we're three months in, um, or maybe even a little bit more than three months in now. Um, let me just get your, your sense of where we're at. You know, I was saying in the roundtable just now, before you came on, that I was speaking to somebody who's been actually a very prominent, uh, you know, uh, activist uh, for the cause um, uh, in social media, et cetera, uh, on the weekend uh, talking to him. And he was, um, you know, he was, uh, I guess, I guess feeling a little deflated, uh, um, getting, getting a little, um, disheartened and uh sort of saying well there isn't millions of people in the streets what what if this isn't going to happen what uh and i was trying to you know prop them up and say look this is a process this takes time this is um but you know there is a that you said earlier there's there's 10 percent good news and 90 percent you know this uh negativity that we hear about and and certainly the the executions have created a chill um there's there's no shortage of people that you hear from in iran or that go and come from iran that say well i didn't see much going on in the streets uh tell, tell me where you're at on this where you think we're at in terms of the the progress and possibility in the, with this revolution? I said 10% and 90%, yes, correct. And those 10% were like the progresses that were made, but why actually there were, there were much, much more than only 10%, but the pressure and the load, the heavy load of the, the negative ones as losing people, hearing about those abuses, the tortures, the, um, the unjust, the terror. So the load, actually, the realistic part, we could say actually 50-50. We have positive and negative achievements. We have had awesome achievements, actually, throughout the past three months. But the pressure and the sadness of those negative sides of loss of those young young lives, the pressure on those families, the, the, the violence, the, the lies, the terror, the abuse, the torture, the systematic kidnapping of people, bringing so many people into custodies. And many of them, you don't even know where they are. A lot of them, they have done actually nothing than maybe writing a graffiti on a wall or something and now they have been charged with like corruption on earth or something so what i meant with this 90 percent was rather the load but not the, the realistic negative positive okay i would say realistically if we put the achievements on one side and uh, let's say the, i wouldn't say the losses but the the negative, the sadness, the stress and pressure on one side, then we actually have 50-50 because looking at like the, the exiting Iran from, um, I mean, dismissing Iran from the, the Women's Rights Council in the UN, uh, the um, uh, resolution of the UN a few weeks ago with regards to like fact-finding fact commission, etc., uh, asking up for, for People for their um, people to come back or to leave Iran now today by Belgium. Last month was Netherlands. A couple of weeks after that was another country. And just you know, so we have seen that uh, a lot of positive achievements or progresses have been taking place as well. And also the unity, the solidarities that we mm. have attracted, not only from some of the, the uh, other countries I and mean, foreign countries. I don't say Western countries, just to be more inclusive in this case, but the Iranians themselves, we have seen how much we, how much closer we have come mm -hmm. to each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, I personally had never like 
been in touch with Iranian communities outside or so. But nowadays, I have got to know mm-hmm. a bunch of awesome people that we are now working closely together to to bring this movement of and to push it forward. And that is why I say, if we want to look at it like this, actually positive, negative are somehow on the same uh, level. But the sadness of those things is is more than the happiness. But of there's those a, but th- there's no question. No, no one would disagree that the goalposts have been moved. There's no question about that. Both, both inside out and outside of Iran. Um, but I mean, you know, in the last three months, reformism, for example, that some people were still entertaining, you know, uh, a few months ago has become uh, something that for most people is a real dirty word now. And 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 hopefully a pushback against any of that with the American administration, for example. But but regardless of how the goalposts have moved or what we see as those positives, do you believe do you still believe that this is the revolution, that this is the, the moment? That would be the question that, you know, my friend, as I, I reference on the weekend, uh, is the one that's bringing up this kind of spe- skepticism. He, I, I assume he's not alone. If somebody I meet is saying that, there's probably a lot of people thinking that. Uh, Jean, I totally understand that. And I totally can feel and relate to what your friend has been maybe expressing or feeling as well. I get sometimes that fear as well, or that insecurity as, oh my God, just please do not let me think of that one person or that 0.5 person that this will not going to be the case, Mm. you know? So sometimes we're human, that's normal that we get that fear and that's okay. But I started to really shift my mindset as I shared it also in my recent post after the third month of the revolution, and I call it a revolution, I tell you also why. Um, I mentioned that it took some time and took a lot of pressure and a lot of heartbreaks and tears and um, stress for all of us to understand and to accept that this is a marathon and not a sprint. Yes. Because I personally am a very impatient person. I've been a sprinter myself, so I, I love speed and I hate everything that comes on my way. And my all effort would be just focused on removing that barrier. But now we all must, there is no other, there is no way around it. We need to accept and understand that this has been a brutal system that has been expanding their its evil arms all around the world with billions of dollars of investment and corruption and terrorism financing worldwide, not only Iran, nationwide, or not only Middle East-wide, around the world for 44 years, we cannot, it, it would be super unrealistic or it wouldn't be a revolution, it would have been maybe a reform if we would expect for this to happen within weeks or months. So we all need to somehow really occupy ourselves with whatever uh, measures and and um, aids or shields that we need to. I mean, I personally am talking for myself as well, because I have cracked under pressure a few times myself, yeah. also emotionally, yeah. physically, um, um, mentally. And I, and I told myself, look, if you want to push through this, if you want to be all the way, and if you want to be there when it happens, you need to take care of yourself as well. Yeah. 
And now we have created a group of accountability amongst the people that we are working closely together with the same mission and with the same purpose for a lot of them not to lose their jobs, not to lose their relationships, not to, to damage their health, etc. And for myself as well, we said, let us come together. Let us meet once a week for half an hour to hold each other accountability. Have we gotten enough sleep? Have we gotten healthy food to eat? Have we uh, done exercise? Uh, are we taking care of like some, maybe a little bit of also me times during the day for ourselves? Are we going to do maybe half an hour of group meditation together? Because collective, this is a collective movement yeah. and we cannot go alone. And that's why I think it is, um, something that i can suggest also to whoever is listening to this whoever is engaged with the heart and with the mind physically mentally we need to take care of ourselves as well but i believe it will happen and that's why i told you also during our chat i don't use the term if i use the term when so when we are there i don't say if we're there because if is always a if yes or if no but when it means the condition is there but it takes us time, effort, and um, collaboration, huge collaboration. It's a teamwork. We see it. We have all become united, and it won't, wouldn't work uh, otherwise. I, I really appreciate your words, and uh, and uh, actually, it's funny. You should you should say uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's exactly the, the same expression I use, and, and, and as, as I've pointed out earlier on this, this program, too, that, that uh, at this point, um, if we if we were to stop, it means we are abandoning those twenty thousand people who have been jailed. It means we are abandoning the the the, the memory and the honor of all those kids who've been killed. It means we're abandoning the women who've been on the front lines of this. It means we're abandoning the students who are out there risking their lives, uh, uh, demonstrating, uh, and that's just not an option. So uh, it, it, and we're abandoning our dreams and our hopes as well. We are abandoning. And we are also disrespecting the whole effort, the emotions, the work and the time and the feeling that we have put into this, not only for the past three yeah. months, for the past years, because it has been a process. So it means it's not only about those who are now in the country, it's about ourselves as well. We may no longer be able to get back there. We may no longer be able to meet our beloved family of course, members. Of I course. still have family. So, so yeah. So, we so, yeah some, also, some of us some of us haven't been able to do that for a long time. We, we still have family there. Avin Tavakoli, I, I so appreciate you. Thank you for doing this. Before you go, let me just remind people that if they want to learn more about this um, political guardianships and uh, the ins and outs of that, you have a couple of great lives about this on your Instagram. Um, people should check that out. Uh, we'll put a link to your Instagram in the description. So whatever platform you're listening to this on right now or watching it on, um, check out our description and you'll see Avin's link and you can um, go check out her page because it really is helpful on this stuff. Thank you for this, Avin. Thank you too, Gian. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye. This dream I'm dreaming Won't you wake me up Cause this life I'm living Doesn't really feel like mine. This strange dream I'm dreaming If anyone don't feel right Never thought Never thought I'd have to start again
This is Rook, episode 224, The Uprising. It's a marathon, not a sprint. For all things Rook-related, you can go to our website, rookmedia.com, rookmedia.com. All of our back episodes of this Uprising series are there as well, and our new documentary, Shot in Istanbul. Let's go to California next, and Massaw Townsend, an Iranian-American real estate agent and social media enthusiast who has been using her online presence to increase awareness about the current situation in Iran. Right now, Massaw Townsend joins me from Orange County, California today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, Jean. Nice Thank to you. have you on the show. Hastanawashi, you, you spoke out at a rally in Los Angeles on the weekend. There you were on stage. How was that for you? It was amazing. It was a great opportunity, and I really appreciated um, the organizers contacting me and giving me an uh, opportunity to speak. And um, these these protests are incredible because you feel this warmth, this energy, this togetherness, um, and and so it was a great experience. It was an honor. I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that actually. The um... Uh, you know, it's no secret that we've always known that there's a lot of Iranians in Southern California. Um, but what has it been like for you um, integrating or um, uh, finding the, the common links with your Iranian sisters and brothers in Southern California, in the L.A. area, in Orange County in the last three months? I think for me personally, as you know, my husband's American. I moved here when I was 10 in 91 and my personal memories of Iran were not good ones because of certain experiences that my family went through. And I think when I moved here, I actually disassociated, separated from my background, from my country in a lot of ways. It was to suppress memories that, you know, the trauma of what I dealt with. And I associated all of that pain with Iran and it wasn't until three months ago until this revolution until this feeling of togetherness where i really reconnected with my roots yeah and you've i mean you didn't just reconnect with your roots you've been extremely active uh tirelessly so in terms of your posts and and passionately so uh tell me how you would how how that shift has been for you in recent months you know it's a sense of responsibility that the young men and women in iran that could easily be me that could easily be my brother we were just able to get out of iran and so there's this deep sense of responsibility that i have to say something i have to speak up because they need all the support that they can get, and we owe it to them. You, you have been. Um, I mean, some people have had some um, comments about this when it comes to you, where, uh, especially, I suppose, those who don't agree with you um, ideologically or uh, your approach or whatever it is. But I, I, I remember about a month ago, somebody had written a post saying that you're calling you an overnight activist, something that you kind of. Um, uh, in a fun way, sort of embraced. You've even put it on your Instagram now. Uh, oh, <laughs> explain to me 
Um, do you feel like you're an overnight activist or you, do you take umbrage at that term? Do you, do you, does it somehow hurt you to be uh, called that? No, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't offend me at all. I think it's um, just because you're new to something or maybe nothing else had, this is a cause close to my heart. I'd spoken out about different things, um, you know, over the past 20 years that, or whenever so we've had access to social media, but maybe not so outspoken, I didn't feel as passionately about anything else. And so I don't think there's any embarrassment in that. Yeah, that's why I put it in my in my um, in my bio because it's better to be an overnight activist than to not speak out at all. And so I will embrace that and not pretend I'm something or someone I'm not. Um, but I do think, you know, what I one of the main reasons I put my political views in the forefront of my activism is to really hammer home this point that in the Iranian community, we have to put Iran first and we have to come together from different backgrounds, different political stances and say, we're united on this one issue and that has to come first. The interest of Iran has to come first and we will go against Republicans, we will go against Democrats, we'll go against anyone who's not in support of a free Iran. What 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 made uh, I'm going to ask you about that in a second working with uh, uh, Democrats and Republicans etc. What 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 just on this point of this being something um, triggering in you that this was the moment where you really wanted to 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 jump in the, the way you have can you describe what it was this time? Uh, I mean, it's no secret that this regime has been doing horrific things for years. And and there were um, moments, the student uprising in 99, the, the, um, you know, the Green Movement in 2009, Aubon in, in, in 2019. What, what is it about this time? Was there, was there a particular moment where you went, fuck, this is, I'm in. This is, uh, this is what I have to de- dedicate myself to. Um, so I actually, during the previous, actually not the previous administration, the one previous to that, I really spoke out against the JCPOA. Um, I, I've actually gone back and seen messages or archived things. I was against the JCPOA. I was against any sort of reform with the Islamic Republic because, again, not saying that the people who weren't there everyone has a different experience based on what their family went through in iran right and so i always had this deep-seated disdain towards the islamic republic because of how it what it had done to my Mm. personal family and so for me it was very easy to be against it so i spoke out against it i think the reason it seems that my voice or I, I'm becoming more active now is because we're more united now, where instead of back when I was against the JCPOA, I was fighting other Iranians, right? Now we're all echoing the same sentiment. So it's making all of our voices seem more powerful. Hmm. One of the things that you've been doing is addressing the 
um, the, the 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 predictable consequences of the of the political leaders in your own area, something that you can actually do something about. The same way that we here in Canada try and speak out about our our Canadian government, um, and you have these items, action items for elected officials, particularly those in California, but I I assume across America. You spoke about them when you spoke at the rally in Los Angeles on the weekend. Can you give me a couple of them? Give me a give me your thoughts on what what people in the diaspora like yourself, other Americans, for example, who are listening to this right now, what you want them to hear, what you want them to do? Um, so any any effort, whether it's at a city council level or state level or federal level, is a move into the right direction. Some are going to be symbolic measures. Obviously, city council members can't change federal law or push sanctions, but it, it pushes for awareness and educating the American public as to what Iranians are asking for and what they're fighting for. So that's why we go to the city council meetings. With regards to what this administration can do, um, uh, it's really four items, four major items. As we see oil strikers in Iran striking, what they're essentially doing is sanctioning themselves. What the United States can do and has done in previous administrations is specifically sanction the oil that Iran sells on a monthly basis. And that directly affects the revenue they generate to use to suppress their people. So we need to stop their revenue generating process and that's sanctioning their oils, their oils specifically. The second thing is um, through the Global Magnitsky Act, we can sanction the Supreme Leader and other high-ranking officials directly. And this complete the Global Magnitsky Act doesn't just seize their assets in the United States. It seizes their assets and their ability to borrow money from the World Bank. It's very, very powerful. So that should be the next thing. And again, both the first sanction I spoke with with about and the Global Magnitsky Act, these are already existing um uh, options for the United States. Yeah. So we don't need to put them into law. They already existed. We just need to actually enact them and, and work on them. We also need to- Sorry, just, work- to, just to stop you for a second. On that second one, the Magnitsky Act, w- any idea why that is so difficult to get everybody to adopt? It's 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 actually adopted. It's, it, it's an adopted law. We just need to add the Supreme Leaders to the um, Supreme Leaders name to it. There's a list of other dictators who are already on that list. Shockingly, no one from Iran's added to that list. And so it's a process. And um, again, I really just inform the public, hoping that people much more powerful than me um, can can look into this. I actually talked about the Magnitsky Act probably three months ago. And, and it's I came across it on a Google search. And I would tell anybody who would listen that and i actually had some followers talk to me about it but no one on the mainstream was picking up on it and i i just saw nazanin boniadi post about it and i was so excited because someone that is much more powerful than i am is also looking into it and i'm hoping mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. something comes out of it there's been no there's been a lot of um 
you know, active folks who have been talking about it for a long time. For example, you know, Kaveh Shahruz we had here, he was talking about it a couple of months ago, et cetera. But you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it seems that's why I ask what the issue is, because it seems like a no brainer, you know, this, this right. kind of thing. But, uh, but it, it, it also speaks to, to still the relative inaction, despite the words uh, of some of our Western political leaders. Okay, get to three and four. Sorry, I cut you off. Well, three and four is really um, shutting down the Islamic Republic interest section in Washington, D.C. Um, this is, we, we obviously don't have an, an Iranian embassy in the United States, but it's similar to one. And, and I think it's, again, a symbolic measure, really calling on our allies in Europe and Canada, all over the world, and asking them to expel the Islamic Republic diplomats. This is a request from the Iranian people and because they want to attack the legitimacy of, of the Islamic Republic and we need to support them in that um, effort. And then, um, gosh, what was the last thing that I spoke about? Um, I think it was just shutting down the Islamic Republic intersection. Oh, and once, and I can't believe I forgot this one, once and for all, walking away from the JCPOA, not tabling it, not putting it on ice, but walking away from it and saying, this deal was flawed to begin with. It is not in the interest of the United States and the world and the Iranian people. And we need to just completely walk away from it. You, I mean, I guess on that last note, especially, you have not been shy about expressing your disapproval or disappointment, maybe I should say, in the Biden administration, your current um, government, uh, your, your president, et cetera, in the, in the States. Um, why? Actually, President Biden himself did something good when it comes to the JCPOA. In 2019, the previous administration, President Trump added the IRGC or designated them as a terrorist organization. At the beginning of this year, when they started negotiating on the JCPOA again, the Islamic Republic said, we're not coming back to the table until that designation is mm. removed. All of the Republicans voiced their concerns and said, don't remove this designation. But so did 18 Democrats who also voiced their concern, concerns. And President Biden listened to them and he didn't remove that designation. So he actually did something good earlier this year. Because he didn't remove that designation, we didn't re-enter the JCPOA. So I don't want to completely, they might not be my favorite administration, but they did something right at the beginning. However, since then, he is doing exactly what the Obama administration did during the Green Movement. And we now know better. We know that was not the right course of action. And so we as Iranians need to not be shy about putting pressure on this administration and criticizing them. And I, I will say a lot of very famous big Iranian influencers are supporting this movement and just stopping shy of criticizing the Biden administration. Mm. And I think that that is a mistake. We have to put Iran's interests first. It is not an election year. Criticizing the Biden administration doesn't mean that you're now a Republican. It just means we have to speak the truth and put pressure where it's necessary. 
Yeah, when when you say following the Obama's uh, administration's footsteps, uh, there are things that the Obama administration did that he himself now says, uh, you know, we could have done this better. I, I we we were wrong. Uh, so yeah. so uh, even Obama suggests that he wouldn't have followed in Obama's footsteps. Uh, now that he's uh, twelve years after the Green Movement, thirteen years after seeing what um, the the consistency of the horror that this um, uh, Iranian regime presides over. Um, you, you, uh, when you go to these city council meetings, um, what, what is the, what is the vibe like there? And what, what do you hear from these city councilors and what do you hope to accomplish on a local level that can actually support? Uh, I mean, if somebody says to you, which I'm sure somebody would, but, uh, okay, that's, this is all great, but how are you really helping the, the kids on the front lines in Iran? Um, what, what do you say to them in terms of going to a local city council meeting in Orange County or in Los Angeles? I, before I jump into that really quick, sorry, I want to add one more little nugget about this, this administration. Robert Malley and his position is extremely problematic. And a lot of Iranians, both in the diaspora and in Iran, are asking for his firing. And a a representative by the name of Pat Fallon from Texas, a Republican from Texas, early November formally asked the Biden administration for the firing of Rob Malley. And this is a great example that whether he's a Republican, independent or Democrat, what he's saying serves the interests of the Iranian people. And so we should, not a single person posted about him or talked about him, but I wanna say Pat Fallon making that declaration, I think this is a huge move. Iranians should put pressure on the Biden administration, not only to sanction Iran's oil, but to fire Robert Malley because his association with particular groups is questionable. His son works for an organization that's questionable. There's a lot of things with that. So that's the Biden administration. No, and and let me just say that uh, uh, a couple of months ago, I did an opening essay about that, saying that he should um, step aside or be fired. Uh, obviously, so impactful that he's still in his position. <laughs> but uh, but I can, but I agree that we we um, we the, it is definitely problematic uh, having. Yeah. Somebody there who who clearly is speaking the language of of reform still in some of his statements, uh, and notwithstanding all those other ties, the the son and all that stuff. Um, but um, yes, okay, go ahead. Uh, how yeah. how how are you how, how are you helping the young women in Iran by going to the city council of Orange County? So so, unfortunately, I don't have. I haven't had the opportunity, and actually that's not true. I've met with multiple senators' offices. So I've had, um, I have been meeting with senators' offices or their foreign policy advisors via Zoom because a lot of my followers will make appointments as constituents and then invite me to join them on the Zoom so we can have kind of a, a, a collective voice. But the reason I go to the city council meetings is because I don't, I haven't, had the opportunity to go. If I could sit in front of Secretary Hillary Clinton or Secretary um, uh, Anthony Blinken, I would love that opportunity. I don't have it. So I'm not just going to sit and do nothing. Mm-hmm. I will talk to anyone at any level who's willing to listen. And, um, and when we give some really passionate speeches and to see elected 
government officials at any level support unanimously the fight for freedom for the Iranian people just brings legitimacy to the cause. And we might have to start at that level. We can't, I can't have such an ego that I'm above hmm. being arm in arm with other Iranians and going to city council meetings. And so it's it's really an incredible scene to see these speeches of people in the community coming, crying and talking about people all the way in Iran and what they're fighting for. Mm. Say the Los Angeles City Council, I'm just making this up, but uh, were to pass an ordinance saying we condemn the the Iranian, the current regime in power in the Islamic Republic of Iran, um, what, what effect do you think that that would have? So ultimately we want effect on a federal level, but let's say within a district, like let's use Orange County, for, for example. So within Orange County, there are various cities, Irvine, Newport, various cities, right? If the majority of these cities pass this resolution, right, that they want to see a condemnation of the Islamic Republic or they support um, certain actions, well, that puts pressure on our Congress members for that district, representatives of that district, to then take that issue up on a federal level. So it starts the process to put pressure on Congress uh, member members of Congress to then bring this up on the House floor. So it, it ideally we would be just meeting with senators and Congress people, but if we're not getting their attention, we start at a level. And I then see. if that particular Congress member doesn't want to bring it up, they're going to have a hard time not speaking up for their constituents who are saying right. we want to pass this resolution. Now, um, let me ask you about what the, some of the response that you've been getting. That because, and I know about this because you've posted about it. Uh, it's funny. It's a funny thing. You know, last year wasn't, or was it last year? I guess, uh, um, yeah, pretty much last year was an election year um, in the U.S. or a year and a half ago, whatever, whatever it was when, two years ago, what am I saying, when uh, Biden was elected and we we had folks who were in Los Angeles <laughs> coming on the show saying uh, it's really difficult how, how uh, divided the Iranian community can get. You know, people were, uh, those who were Democrats were getting flack from the Republicans and those who were Republicans were getting flack from the Democrats. And so intra-Iranian community anger and debate and all of this because um, some don't care for Trump and others don't think that the, the Democrats are going to be as strong on Iran, etc. Um, so now we're supposedly in this moment of unity. This mo we we talk about how much unity there is in the global Iranian diaspora, and yet it seems that you've been uh, receiving some flack for being a Republican. Uh, and so, so what what is the flack you've been receiving, and and why do you think you've been receiving it? First, I want to say I think it's a minority. I think the people that are giving me flack are a small minority of maybe super extremists on the other side. I I, I have Democrat members in my family. Um, I argue with them constantly, but but 
I, I want to say just because someone is a Democrat or Republican or independent, their motives are not what we're questioning. We, we're not questioning where their heart is and their motives are. What we're saying is when it comes to foreign policy with the Islamic Republic, Republicans have a better track record. They're tougher on them. That That is just fact. And so to say, but it doesn't mean that it's we're discounting all of your other arguments of why you don't particularly like the Republican Party. But where you lose the argument on either side is when you attack someone's motives, right? And so the people who are attacking me are saying that my motives or that I should be shut down because I'm a Republican. And that ideology is awfully similar to the Islamic Republic's ideology, that we can all, we have to completely cancel and shut down any opposing viewpoints. And so from what I understand, that's been it. I recently posted a video of an Israeli flag with an Iranian flag. Israel has been very outspoken um, about their support for the Iranian people and their fight for freedom. And what I'm trying to make the Iranian community understand is we have to be Iranian mm. first. And if someone gives us support, we give mm. them support. And so um, that was another thing that when I posted that, they said that, you know, I, I, I don't know what their problem with that honestly was. I was just saying. Well, there are a I, lot of people on the left who for a long time have had issues with Israel. And so they're conflating their problems with that, with seeing you post that. And, and um, but I mean, are you when you when you say that, I mean, are they literally saying this person should be shut down because they're a Republican? Because that I actually so I actually I I have a lot of amazing Democrat friends. That's mm -hmm. what I want to say. I have a lot of friends who are on the other side of the aisle, and we will never get anything done unless we work together. We will never get anything done. Mm. So they have been so incredible, have have amplified my voice. I just I want to make sure that we're not really I don't want to make it a broad statement like it's them, but they have sent me things that have come up to their where the, it actually says Massa is problematic because of her Republican views. <laughs> mm. And we need to not amplify mm. her voice, mm. like verbatim. So I have that. I just wanted to address it to let people know, you, like, you, I'm not afraid, but I didn't want to bring specific names to the Right. But, and you've been very actively um, sort of condemning or, or, suggesting that um, you don't think Nyack folks are uh, helpful to the revolution. Um, so how is that different? So so this is actually a, a great point. So Nyack, that organization, even motive-wise, right, there's my understanding is from just my own research that their viewpoints just always happen to align with the Islamic Republic viewpoints. Hmm. Now, whether they did that on purpose or didn't do it on purpose, but their views are problematic. They seem to have apologized away many of the despicable, heinous acts of the Islamic Republic. Their voice is absolutely hurtful to the Iran revolution. So if we all have this one common goal, and the common goal is to free Iran, hmm. if I start speaking out in a way where I'm harmful to the revolution, I can understand 
being shut down and saying, look, we have this common goal. It's a free Iran. You're now spewing something in contrast of that. And we can't be amplifying your voice as an Iran as Iranian community. So I think as long as you're not spreading something that is harmful, I have not talked about any American politics. I'm only talking about freeing Iran yeah, and any I got politics. you. The motive thing, I got it. That that's actually makes a lot of sense. See, you're saying as long if somebody is on board with we want a regime change in Iran, you're okay with their political stripe. Can I exactly. Now I I mean I don't want to go to this is actually a to be honest, this whole conversation, this part of it, you know, feels like a distraction from the the goal. It's like uh, who's Republican, who's Democrat. I mean, the goal is, you know, spending our time, including this real estate here, talking about uh, uh, Iran and keeping the focus there. But but just to complete the thought experiment, so if a communist says, "I am, I am, I am a communist. I believe, I believe in communism. I want communism in Iran. I believe fundamentally in regime change. I want to be part of the revolution regime change right now. Uh, but I also believe in communism, which is where I want things to end up. Would you, would you say, okay, let's work together? This is actually a really interesting point. I met with a group of women who were put who are putting something together, an organization to combat Nyack, like a like a different version of it. Mm. And and she said really sweet. She said, "We're going to be really inclusive. We're going to include anybody from anywhere." And I said to her, "I think that actually, if your goal is a secular, democratically elected government for Iran, you can't be exclusive. You have this focus, and so." If you have a Marxist ideology or socialist ideology or communist ideology, you don't stand for a secular, democratically elected government for Iran. And for that reason, we're not going to be on the same side. However, I have seen that opposition groups have really refrained from attacking each other thus far. Because they have one goal, which is get rid of the Islamic Republic. And then the second stage will be that infighting, right? And so I commend all of the parties for not creating that infighting because we do have a common goal, but some Iranians in the diaspora absolutely are for a secular democratically democratically elected government. And for that reason, we can't be inclusive of someone who wants communism for Iran. But you don't want, I mean, presumably you want self-determination in Iran for for the Iranian people, right? The Iranian people get to choose, right? Right. No, if the majority of, I mean, again, I, I would still, if the majority of Iranians want communism, I would still probably on my platform be say, I'm absolutely against it, but if that's what you want, that's that, what you want. That, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, that would be my position. It's like uh, if, if, if Iranians inside Iran decide on communism, we, who are we to say, you know, no, right? Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. but uh, I would still say no. <laughs> just being honest. Right, right, I'm just, yeah. No, I understand that okay, you wouldn't appreciate that. Now are going to yeah. come after me too. That's yes, yes, yes. Um, tell tell me a bit about what the uh, j- just before I let you go. I mean, it's uh, I do appreciate just how active you've been and how you've really. I think you've probably. I mean, given your social media presence has been pretty significant. Uh, some of the, those followers have uh, probably not been following you for political reasons. And so you've been reaching a whole demographic that, that folks who you know have always only posted about politics might not be reaching. Uh, 
what 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 has that been like for you in terms of the the um, the discourse, the exchange with your followers? I can tell you, and I was actually joking with my Democrat friends. I said, you know, I'm not, I don't get any heat from my conservative friends when I share my my Democrat friends. They, they're not telling, they're not canceling me because I'm amplifying the voices of my friends from the other side of the aisle. It just seems to come from one side, but I. Gian, I can I would say for every one negative comment, I probably have a thousand positive, supportive. I get emotional thinking about it because the Iranian community is so warm, is so loving. I cannot, even when I, you know, I've run into you and it, it was just such a, it's a different level of warmth, yeah. of connection, of unity. So really I want to, emphasize these things have been very minor, small little pockets, and the majority of the feedback has been of love and unity. Yeah, I wouldn't even know about it if you didn't post about it. That's one of the reasons sometimes to not even <laughs> post about it, to not give well, it oxygen. Yeah, but, but you, you can't fix what you don't acknowledge. Mm. And so this is a wrong train of thought. And my main reason of posting it is we, I want, I might be brave enough, or I might be tough enough for all call you out someone else might not and i want those individuals to see me just like i've seen people gosh these these activists for iran i remember the first time they were talking about taking your your hijab off or anything negative about the islamic republic this is years ago mm -hmm. i remember watching and thinking wow they're so brave right and so i think that that's contagious and so i only post because i'm hoping you know, I'm older, like maybe a 20 year old Iranian sees that and finds that courage and says, I'm going to say something also. Well, tell me about the, before I let you go, tell me about your family and the, the conversations you've been having with your non-Iranian husband. Um, does he, uh, I mean, did you have to have a conversation? Did you sort of say, hey, listen, I'm going to go go into this. Uh, we're going to take some flack for this. I'm going to be on the front lines. Or, or um, is he... Just to, I mean, I'm sure he's used to you now, so he knows that you, you're, you're not shy. Tell me about well, that. Well, first, I, you know, we we originally met through a mutual friend, Kusha, and I used to go on her Instagram account, and I talked a lot of, you know, ish about the Iranian man and how you should marry an American guy, and I would joke and say that, and I ha I, I've said to her, I said, I need to come out publicly and apologize to every Iranian man because I am so proud of how, we talk about the women and it's a woman-led movement, but these Iranian men that are so, young men that are so brave, both in Iran, both here, that manhood, that, that it just is so incredible and it's so beautiful and it's unique to our culture. And so I said to her, I said, I need to come make a public apology to all the Iranian men, you're incredible. We honor you, we're proud of you. Thank you for being with us in this fight and leading the way and putting your life in danger. Um, so my, I've gone from like, I'm like, I'm like, this is your fault. <laughs> Just but he, um, he's very, very supportive. Um, a lot of times he's with our kids when I'm out in protest. And, you know, my kids have had a hard time adjusting because I've been um, not available like I have been, but, what do you say to them? You know, I I want them to understand that freedom is 
the most important thing that they have that we all have and it's worth fighting for and if you have the ability to be free um you know you you speak out and so my daughter recently said to kevin and i you know i've been american up until now from now on i'm just iranian and like, mm. like it doesn't work like that but that sense of pride is coming in her also and it's 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 a wonderful it's really for christmas i actually bought them all eat farsi books hmm. so they can you know learn farsi but i've i i my in-laws and my husband have been very supportive of my activity to free iran master john before i let you go you know i i um i did an essay on this show i don't know uh six seven weeks ago talking about the rebirth of iranian pride and it's something that a bunch of us have been talking about you know about how we feel this 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 pride or rehabilitated feelings about being iranian and that we owe that to uh, those young people in iran who started this this movement uh and as somebody who it's interesting, you know, I, I didn't actually know your story. I've always thought of you as very American because of the way you talk. From what I understand now, when you came to the States at the age of 10, you didn't even speak English at all, right? Yeah. So you were a real, you know, Iruni girl. Yeah. Uh, and as you say, I mean, and I totally get it because I went through something similar um, that you kind of were in the ethnic closet. You went and, you know, you wanted to sort of hide your Iranianness uh, because you only associated it with bad things. In my case, it was just, I didn't want to be called a terrorist and stuff. But but, yeah. um, but um, t- tell me about how the Iranian in you, the kid who actually grew up there, uh, has flowered in, in recent weeks. Oh, gosh. It's just a lot of suppressed, I don't even know if I've even dealt with it, but it's a lot of suppression. It's that survival instinct, you know, that you moved here. And it was, you know, I I think even when I said goodbye to my grandmother, I didn't realize it was forever. You know, I look back in that moment in the airport. Sorry, I'm gonna get emotional. And I, now I'm a mother and I see it from my, my mother's eyes. And she watched her children say goodbye to her mother forever. It's a, it's a lot of pain. It's a lot of pain. And I, you know, um, that I don't think I've quite dealt with. But I think, like you said, this is an opportunity for me to teach my kids to hold their head up high that they have this incredible blood running through their body. And I'm hoping that during this process, I find some healing and deal with a lot, you know, a lot of like, even my dad, he was in prison and he was really depressed after the Shah was exiled because he was a supporter. And I think for a long time in my teenage years, my dad had become very much depressed and a recluse and I held this against him. And I, he passed away last year and I never, I never really address that quite and now I understand he 
had such pride for his country that it was really depressing and he was tortured and a lot of other things. So a lot of things has come full circle, but I don't think I've completely healed. And I like to believe the things that I'm doing now will make him proud. Yeah. Yeah, I got I feel the same way with my my dear dad who's gone as well and I, I think about him every day during this period and what this would mean to him as well. Yeah, really. I wish they could see it. I feel like they're seeing I feel like they're watching it. I really do. I feel like they're watching it. I really really believe that. Massa, thank you um for the time and thank you for being so open and and uh, for the candor and for the all the, the the passion that you're putting into what you're doing these days. Thank you so much, John. Thank you for the opportunity. You have no idea how much I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the support. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Massa Townsend in Orange County, California. Thank you to her, Avin, Sarah, and the Rook team for this episode today. Back on Thursday with another edition of our Uprising series. Um, thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Savvy Roham, Talented Anihita, Super Parisaw, Smart Pega, Ohai Merdan, and Groovy Shaya. Thank you to all of you guys out there supporting us, sharing our content. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already on any of our platforms. And do support us if you wish to. If you like our content and want to be part of our crowdsourcing to keep this thing going, go to our website, rookmedia.com and press the support us button it can lead you to a page that shows you how you can support us from month to month with a small uh, amount of support find me on instagram at gian gomeshi thank you again mizun bashing